This is the second edition of the Asmin and Budic podcast. The first one is up on ICTV.org and will be up on iTunes in the upcoming days. So that's it was great to hear it back. I'm Jake Asmin, joined alongside Dan Budic. We're ready for the second edition of the podcast show right here. Big week in sports, big week in entertainment. We're going to get to it all. But first, we want to say thank you to ICTV for another week. Once again, Dan, as you just said, it will be up on iTunes in the coming days. The first one is up, though, on the ICTV website. You go to ictv.org slash Budic if you want to take a listen to the show. Special thank you to our two producers today, the great Jake Chernock and Carly Miller sitting in helping us with all the editing and everything else that we have no idea how to do. <laughs> but, Dan, as I just mentioned, huge week in sports. Starts with Raymond Felton and his gun charges. The NFL scouting combine was this past week in Indianapolis. It wrapped up yesterday. MLB's home plate collision rule was changed. We're going to get to that. Bart Scott, and some media sport-related news, was promoted to the CBS Studios show. Him and Tony Gonzalez, the retired Atlanta Falcons tight end, they are going to replace Hall of Famers Dan Marino and Shannon Sharp. So we're going to get to that and what it means for CBS going forward. And later on in this podcast, we are going to have on the great the college professor. He has an MB vote. Uh, he has an Emmy vote himself. The great Jack Powers. We're going to get him on the program, and we're really excited about that. We're going to break down late night with Seth Myers and Jimmy Fallon's late night show as well. Night. Of course. We're also going to answer some of the fan tweets we got from people out there listening in the audience. And, of course, when we have on Jack Powers, got to discuss the Oscars, which is this Sunday. Oh, yeah. You know, he, like you mentioned, an Emmy vote. He's into the Oscars. He talks about it every week in class, seems like, leading up to the Oscars. So it'll be fun having him in studio, talking to him a little bit. He's the TV guru, if you talk to anyone. Everyone He's a TV knows. connoisseur. He, he, listen, he has a vote for the Emmys. He Absolutely. Has, he, has a deciding, he's a deciding factor in who wins, who gets up on that stage. Very cool. Very cool. And he's one of the professors that we both have. So we would love to have him on, and we will, coming up later in this very podcast. But, Dan, as I just mentioned, big week in sports. The biggest news probably being with Knicks point guard Raymond Felton. You thought the Knicks season couldn't get any worse. You thought wrong. Well, you thought Raymond Felton's season couldn't get any worse for the New York Knicks. He's been horrific for this Knicks team. He's showed up to camp out of shape. He's overweight. He's underperformed. And the Knicks season... Has just been a joke. It's been a disaster. This team hasn't been competitive on most nights. They found ways to lose every single game, it seems like, this year. Any game close in the fourth quarter, something would go wrong. Someone would mess up, whether it be a coaching decision or players not being able to execute down the stretch. The next season has been a disaster, but it gets worse because on Tuesday night, Raymond Felton, after the Dallas Mavericks game, he gets arrested. Yeah, what's Raymond Felton doing with a semi-automatic weapon? That, that's what I want to know. What is what is Raymond Felton, a guy making over $2 million this year, doing with a semi-automatic weapon? He appeared in court on Tuesday and was formally charged with one count of criminal possession of a weapon in third degree and one count of criminal possession of a firearm. Each is considered a felony in New York State. And if you go back to 2008 with Flaxco Burris and his unregistered gun when he shot himself in the leg through sweatpants at a nightclub, of course, Plaxico Burris. Sure, we all know. Of course, ruined the Giants' opportunity to try and win their second straight Super Bowl back in that 2008 season. You know, but this is obviously a couple things wrong with this. One, you just mentioned it. What is a professional athlete doing carrying around a gun? Why does he need an unregistered gun? What is the? Uh, if you're that worried about your safety, it's called hire a bodyguard. Hire a professional. The idea that you have an athlete walking around with a firearm, unregistered first off, is a no-go. If you want to carry around a firearm, it's your right to do so. It says so in the Constitution. But to have it unregistered and be that unsmart about it, I, Raymond Felton, 
just you got to be better than that, man. And it's and you got to be smarter than that. What, he, what if the Knicks were good and they, he would have cost them their season? You lose your starting point guard, whatever. But the fact that they've had this horrific season, this is just the icing on the cake. Raymond Felton becomes the the face of the Knicks' disaster this season. He's the guy you're going to look at now. Well, I mean, yeah, you, you are going to look at him and the fact that. He hasn't been playing well. Imagine if he was playing, like you mentioned, the Knicks were in contention and he was playing like a, like a very good to top-tier guard in the NBA. We would be saying how even bigger of a disaster this is. But if you look at his season, it's been, it, got, it went from bad to worse to just dreadful. And, you know, it, if you look at the state of New York, the gun laws, they're so strict. People are comparing, well, Gilbert Arenas, you had the thing a couple years ago, what, three, four years ago. You know, that's totally different. When you and talk, it's not like this Plaxico story is that old. No, 2008. Four, 2008, no, four but, or five years ago. But people don't, the gun laws in New York State are stricter than any other state people in the United don't States. Think. People don't realize. He, and listen, I don't want to say, he, he's, he might face some jail time. I mean, this is, this is a very serious offense. And again, you just brought up the topic. What is a, an athlete in New York that is getting paid millions of dollars? I don't care if it's a, a Raymond Felton salary or Alex Rodriguez's absurd salary with the Yankees. What is a million-dollar athlete doing with a semi-automatic weapon? And the bottom line is, too, his wife turned him into the police. They're going through a divorce right now. So she knows that the gun is unregistered, which would be the reason to go to the police t- to get Raymond Felton to face these charges. Some wife, some uh, some situation they had. Yeah, I mean, they, you're, you're, they're headed towards an ugly divorce. Oh, my God. I mean, it was probably ugly beforehand if she's going to the police in the Jesus. first place. But, but It's like Ray rice esque This is unbelievable what's going to go on with Raymond Felton. His court date is in June for the uh, the first one, his trial, I should say. June 2nd is his next appearance in court. This is something that um, it's terrible. It's going to affect the Knicks the rest of the way. It's going to be a distraction. It's not like the Knicks were going anywhere anywhere. They're six games out of the final playoff spot in the East as we currently stand on this Wednesday. I mean, the Knicks are in a situation right now where they got to find a way to get rid of Raymond Felton and his contract. They should cut him right now, honestly. What type of message does it send to the team? But, of course, the Knicks are the, one of the most poorly ran organizations in all professional sports. So it's not surprising. Raymond Felton's probably going to start tomorrow against the Miami That's Heat. That's what they said. But, I mean, it, it doesn't end for this Knicks team. And the fact that Raymond Felton has an unregistered firearm and you're a professional athlete playing in New York where, as you just said, New York has the strictest gun laws, unacceptable, inexcusable. It's terrible. And it's... It's it's poor character. You know, it's again the poor you know, poor character. If you look at some of these character guys on the New York Knicks, you look at J.R. Smith, who you know players say, "Oh, he's so likable," but we've seen his off the off the court antics, whether it's in the club or tweeting at underage girls uh, to to meet up with him. And now you have the situation with Raymond Felton. I mean, over the last six seven months, this this situation with the New York Knicks has gone from worse. To, to to rock bottom. They have enough distractions going on right now. Whether whether it's will Carmelo Anthony return to the Knicks, whether it's the head coaching situation, J.R. Smith earlier in the season, and now Raymond Felton. It has been a drama. It's been a drama series of terrible distractions for the New York Knicks. And you cannot make this up with the New York Knicks in 2014. It's been an absolute disaster. And it, it almost it almost sends you to the direction. Where do you go from here if you're James Dolan and Mills? Where do you go from here? You obviously want to build around Carmelo Anthony, but you need a plethora of pieces to bring in, and it includes replacing Raymond Felton and I think J.R. Smith in the upcoming years. Raymond Felton is under contract for next year. The Knicks will be smart to try well, and do everything jail, they can to get I'm, out of it. If he goes to jail, he's done with the Knicks. Voided. But you're t- talking about possibly the end of his NBA career. The oh. guys, the guys in his early 30s, so he still has some time left. But at the same time, he's already on the downside of his career. He's playing. He's having one of his worst seasons statistically he has in his career, and he came off a decent year last year. So it's hard to b- believe such a quick turnaround. But obviously, this this whole wife divorce thing is probably 
probably been a huge distraction to him. Now you have the firearm charges coming up. He's under contract, as I just said, through the 2015 season. If the Knicks can get out of that, they could save themselves a couple couple million bucks to try and use in free agency and use for their cap going forward. But the bottom line is Raymond Felton now becomes a huge distraction, and for his own career's sake, you may not, he may not ever get another opportunity to play in the NBA again because I don't know what team is really going to take a chance on a guy that's diminished, is now a distraction, and could be away from the game for two to three years based on the amount of jail time he could get. Well, let's take a look at it. Plaxico Burris sat out a couple of years. The Jets signed him right when he came out of prison, and listen, he was— He had a, one year, now he's he, out of the league. Yeah, he, he had one year, and then the Steelers brought him in, and he got cut in training camp. He didn't make the team. So, I mean, and he was at the highest of highs when this thing happened in December of 2008 with the— uh, He was having a great season. He was having a great season in December of 2007— uh, Was it 2008? 2008. 2008. December, that's what I thought. December 2008. I mean, they were, what, they finished the season 12-4, and four, and it was after that point where they diminished and they were a first round after the Carolina Panthers. They were the number one seed in the, uh, in the NFC, but, I mean, and his career hasn't ha- never came back. He was done. So, I, and Raymond Felton hasn't had the—doesn't have the resume that Plaxico Burris had— so, I mean, if you think Raymond Felton's going to come back and be a, a productive point guard, I don't think it's going to happen. I don't even think he gets an opportunity to. Which brings up our first tweet. Make sure you could tweet at us, at Jake Asman, at Dan Budick. We got a tweet from Anthony. Will Raymond Felton ever play again for the New York Knicks? I don't think he'll ever play again for the Knicks. I think they're either going to get out of his contract or he's going to go to prison, and then the NBA will suspend him, and he'll obviously be able to get out of the remaining money that the Knicks owe him. But... Will he ever play in the NBA again is the real question. I don't know. I think he'll make an opportunity to go somewhere, but I don't think he's going to last. I don't think he is that good of a point guard to begin with. And the fact that he was starting on this Knicks team is an indictment on their organization. The fact that they don't have anyone else that could play the point guard position. They cut Bino Udrick the other day. Torrey Murray's just a rookie. He, got, he was in the D-League last year. is minute. You can't put him in for that So the, the Knicks are a disaster right now. I don't think he's ever going to play again for the Knicks. The Knicks will probably go out in their offseason and try and do something at this well, point guard position. To. They don't you have, have a choice. To. You don't so, have a choice. So I don't think he's going to play for the Knicks. Even if he doesn't go to prison, I just don't think the Knicks are ever going to have him play in their lineup again after the season. They're going to do everything they can to get out of it. And honestly, two felony charges, good luck getting out of that. I think Raymond Felon's going to serve some time. His Knicks career is over. His Knicks career is over. This contract, I think the Knicks are going to do everything in their power to try to avoid this. I don't think they want to pay him. And if he goes to jail, obviously, it, it works out well for the Knicks in the cap situation. But I don't think he plays for the Knicks again. Whether he plays in the NBA again, I mean, it depends if he goes to prison. We'll see. I mean, you think he comes out of prison, he might get, he'll get a look, maybe. I mean, he'll be in his 30s, you know, into his 30s, deep into his 30s. I don't know. What kind of uh, what kind of opportunity he's going to get? It's yeah, sit out of the game, especially a game where we questioned if he's in shape this year for the New York Knicks. Stuff. He's not. People have questioned if he's in this if he's in shape this year. What kind of shape is he going to be in if he sits out two years in prison? Ray and Felton's a disaster. That's one thing we oh. definitely agree on. But next topic we want to hit on is Clowney at the combine. As we mentioned, the NFL scouting combine was this past week in Indianapolis. Besides Rich Eisen running the 40-yard dash time, breaking his career high, I believe he got it in under six seconds. Yep. So congratulate, congratulations to the great Rich Eisen of NFL Network for being able to do that. But in the serious news, Clowney, out of, you know, the Gamecocks, the Gamecocks. of course, in South Carolina, he ran a 4.53 in the 40-yard dash. And get this, sixth highest out of running backs, if he was eligible to play he running back in the NFL. He physical specimen. He had by far the most talked about combine. He blew the scouts away. This is a guy that a lot of people thought would obviously be the first defensive player taking off the board. There's no doubt about that. Clowney coming into this past college football season was probably going to be the consensus number one overall pick. With Houston having it, despite a lot of people not thinking that they were at the beginning, they were probably no one thinking they were no. going to be the worst team in football. 
It's going to be interesting. I still think they're going to go quarterback, but Clowney, his performance definitely makes an argument why he could maybe be the number one overall pick in the upcoming draft. He had an unbelievable combine. One thing's for sure, he's a guy that will most likely, without a doubt, be the first defensive player taken off the draft board. Well, I think any team's crazy not to pick him in the top five if you're looking to pick a defensive player and he's still on the board. But when you look at coming into the season, people question his work ethic, and I think that's one thing that... You know the. Com- I mean, let's be honest. He coasted through a he season this year to try and not get hurt. Uh, yeah, but you know what? Uh, some teams don't mind that necessarily because you want to keep him healthy. But some teams want to see you motivated, even though he. We talked about it end end of last season. He was the no doubt number one overall pick coming into the football season. People question his character, and listen, his post combine interview, I want to be one of the greatest in the NFL. Some people could take that the wrong way. I don't necessarily. I think he's motivated. I think he wants to, he's, he's going to put in the work. I give him the benefit of the doubt because I've seen what he can do. He's such a special talent Exactly. Such no a special team is going to miss out on the opportunity to draft him. If he's sitting there in the top five, he will go in the top five. He will go it's in the top five. It's a matter of, will but... he go number one overall to Houston or if Houston wants to trade their pick or... Will he go number two or three? There's no doubt that he will go in the top five. I'll tell you why I don't. Th- I'll tell you why I don't think Houston takes him. For one, two, the last two years, besides this year, they suffered a tremendous amount of injuries. They had a top three defense in the National Football League over the last three years. They have a tremendous pass rusher in J.J. Watt, who coming into the season, people said he was the number one pass rusher in the National Football which League, which he is. Which he is. Mm-hmm. You know, he he saw, he was banged up this year. They just had a. Dreadful season. They had an awful, year. Had an awful year. Wasn't his fault. They suffered tremendous injuries at quarterback. Matt Schaub was terrible, and then got hurt, and they were just they were stuck with backups. Which is why I think they're going to take a quarterback, and that brings up the next topic yeah. or the next item for discussion. What do they do with that first overall pick? The draft is until May. They moved it back about a week and a half this year, so you got to wait even longer for the NFL draft. And people are analyzing everything every day. I think there's no doubt they need to take a quarterback. You can't even dispute that. Matt Schaub is not the answer. They're going to let him go. They have no one on the TJ Yates as their backup didn't do that great of a job. Wasn't that impressive? I don't think he's a franchise quarterback for that team. Houston has been a quarterback away now for a couple of years. They've had the team around the quarterback position to win. They haven't got the performance out of the position because of Matt Schaub getting hurt. There's, Last year in the playoffs, this upcoming year, it was a disaster for them. Houston's very good, and they're going to be a very good team if— they find that quarterback for the future. Is it Johnny Manziel? Is it Teddy Bridgewater? Or is it Blake Bortles? I think they're going to take Johnny Manziel. Whether or not he is the right guy remains to be seen. But at the same time, he's such an electrifying college player. He played at Texas A&M. You really want to let one of your own guys from your state go to a different team when you're sitting there at the first overall pick in the NFL draft and you're not going to take your guy, Johnny Manziel? I have a hard time believing Houston's going to pass up on this guy. Yeah, I don't see them passing up on him. There's a lot of pressure on him to pick him. They need a quarterback. I think he's a good fit. I like his attitude, and he, listen, the guy wins. The guy knows how to play a quarterback position. People question whether it'll translate in the NFL, and I was one of those guys uh, at the beginning of the season a little, you know, want to see a little more out of him, and I've seen that, and I saw him at the combine. I saw him throughout the season make plays. He's able to uh, to, to, to move out of the pocket. I like his longevity. I think he'll he projects to be a good, a very good to great NFL quarterback. I really love Johnny Menzel. I think there's too much pressure on the Houston Texans not to pick this guy. Like you mentioned, Texas guy, Texas A&M. If they don't pick him and he goes on to be a great quarterback for another franchise, it'll be one of the biggest blunders the Houston Texans have ever made. No, it will be because Johnny Menzel, obviously, who won the Heisman, he was a Heisman runner-up this year, had another stellar season. I'd really at be A&M. shocked if they don't pick him. Listen, the thing you could say about Johnny Menzel is he has the off-the-field questions, but I think when it comes down to it, and you talk to people and they talk about him, they all say that he's committed to winning. He puts the time in. He works hard. 
I don't blame a guy for having fun when he's not even 21 years old yet. He just turned 21 a couple months ago, and he's in college having a good time. I don't blame him for that. I think he gets too blown out of proportion because of the fact that he's by far and away, and has been the past few past two seasons he's played in college football, the best player in all of college football. So you look at Johnny Manziel, the fact that he's from Texas, he played at Texas A&M, you have the Houston Texans on the clock, and they need a quarterback, it makes too much sense for them to take Johnny Manziel. I would be absolutely stunned if they don't take him, especially now when you have Bill O'Brien, a former college coach at Penn State. I think he's a guy that will understand what Johnny Manziel's game is and how it could translate to the NFL. I would be absolutely stunned if they pass up a Manziel first overall. Yeah, I mean, they have, the, like you mentioned, they have that need at quarterback. They need a quarterback. Clowney, obviously, we mentioned how great of a physical specimen he is. I just think the need at quarterback is too great. You win in the NFL starting with the guy who's taking snaps and is under center, and that guy is Johnny Manziel. And I think he's a great gonna, player, and no, I think he he's going to be a star in the NFL. And the fact that you might be able to put him with Watt on the other end That's, would be unbelievable. But yeah. at the same time, Having a defense, two great defensive ends doesn't win you a Super Bowl. It just doesn't. They need you, a quarterback. Every team that's ever won a Super Bowl in recent years, go dating dating back, whatever it is now, you could go back all the way. Besides Trent Dilfer in 2000, from that point on, you know, you really need a sh- consistent play out of your quarterback. It's very rare. It's There's very, been a few it's, times it's where, very it, where it happens. To win There's been a few that. times, Dilfer, Brad Johnson for the Buccaneers in 2 There's been a few times but where— But even more so today, with the way no, the league need, changes benefiting need, offensive yeah, players— you need a franchise guy, and as great as Clowney will probably be in the NFL, Houston's need for a quarterback outweighs the fact that they could use Clowney because any team could use Clowney. He's that type of talent. He's that special. I, yeah, like I mentioned, I just think the need for the Houston Texans is a quarterback. And, you know, Steve from Syracuse wrote in. He said, who will go first in the NFL draft? I think, it, without a doubt, I think it's going to be Johnny Manziel. I agree. And I think, ultimately, the real discussion is not between Manziel and Clowney. It's between Manziel, Bridgewater, or Bortles. Who's your number one overall quarterback? And I think it's I think it's got to be Johnny Manziel. I think, I think the still- fact that he's from Texas plays a huge part into it. I think the fact that he's the big name. If you want to, you know, attract a player to your fan base, the sell your fans reason, or something, Johnny Manziel is the guy you got to take. If you if you look at Johnny Manziel's skill set and the conference he played in, and I'm a big fan of Bortles and Bridgewater, but they played in the American Athletic Conference. They did not play the type of competition. They didn't play in the SEC. They did not play the in the SEC. They did not play the teams that Texas A and M played. They played teams like Temple University. They play teams like Utah. You know all about Temple University. I do know about that. I I know all about Temple University. They play teams like Utah, Memphis, they did um, SMU. They did not play big time competition, and that worries me coming into the NFL. I'd rather take, you know, a guy maybe a little shorter, can move, can still move like Bridgewater can, but that's made big throws in the SEC. I'll take that guy over Bortles, even though he might have the better arm. I just like the defensive that the SEC presents to Johnny Manziel than the American Athletic Conference presents to Bridgewater or Bortles. So gut feeling, Johnny Manziel, number one? I'd be shocked. I'd be shocked if it's not Manziel at number one. I agree. I think Johnny Manziel goes first overall. I think Clowney will go either two or three. MLB's home plate collisions, another thing up for discussion. They changed the rule. The rule now states that you can't intentionally block the plate. If it hacks, if it happens accidentally, they will allow it. It's all subject to review now. I, I don't know. I hate it. I, I hate I it. it's terrible. I don't think you should change a rule that's been implemented for over 100 years since baseball's existed. I understand that you want to try and re- protect the players, but you have catchers coming out and saying they don't mind the collisions. They understand part it's of the part game. of the game. Don't play the position. If you're worried about one of your star catchers getting hurt, don't have him play catcher. Yeah, and, that, and that's the thing. You talk about Buster Posey. Buster Posey. This all started because Buster Posey well, arguably well, the well, best catcher is, well, in baseball. Is, got well, hurt. That's right. This is the argument. Buster Posey came up originally as a first baseman. They decided his arm and his defensive skills were too great not to have him behind the plate. They moved him to catcher. A couple years ago, he gets trucked. 
against the Marlins and, you know, had the knee injury, missed the rest of the season, had the rehab, and then this that's when this conversation, because before that we never heard about, you know, possible changing the rule where you can't collide and where the, where the catcher can't and block And what you're play. doing, too, is this. You're saying if it's intentional, then it doesn't count. It's always intentional. How how do you? It's always intentional. Yeah, but how do you determine if it's intentional? There's or not? no way you're making you're putting no, more pressure on your umpires to make a call when the umpires to begin with aren't that great at Jake, major league when baseball. When have you as seen a know. home plate collision, collision where it's not intentional? It, it it doesn't happen. Well, they're saying that the ball's down the line and oh, the catcher's ridiculous. coming. Get it. You can't. It's too. What about the times where the runner initiates contact with the catcher? That happens a lot too. What about that? That's not allowed now. They're but saying it's ridiculous. It, unless unless of course the ball's coming and the split second the catcher has to adjust and right in front of so, the plate. They so are. the home plate umpire is to determine in that split second time whether there was collision. And then what do you review a replay? I, it's ridiculous. You gotta go right to. They're gonna go right to replay. I now. think it's You're, terrible. It's too much gray area for a rule that doesn't need to be changed. It, it doesn't, doesn't need to be changed. How come in nineteen how come, in the, how come in the 70s when Johnny Bench was catching, one of the greatest all-time hitting catchers of all time, this conversation did come up? When Gary Carter was catching, how come this conversation never came up? Why all of a sudden now does this come up? Cause did something change all of a sudden because Buster Posey got hurt? Well, you know what? The Giants are so concerned about him. You pay him over $100 million, move him to first base. Don't have him play catcher. Here's the official new rule from MLB. Rule 7.13 states a runner attempting to score may not deviate from his direct pathway to the plate in order to initiate contact with the catcher or other player covering home plate. A runner violating the rule shall be declared out even if the fielder drops the ball. Which is which which is I don't like it. I think it's I think it takes away from the game. I it's, really do. It's too big of a gray area for a situation. I'll tell you I'll tell you who really doesn't like this. Pete Rose does not like this. I don't think any catcher no, that's well, played no, the game. Well Pete likes Rose it. Pete Rose was made famous by making aggressive home plate collisions into the catcher. It's part of, it's the, part game. of the game. I don't think you can change a rule just because you're worried about uh, certain players at the catching position getting hurt. Move them. Don't play catcher. It, it, the Twins did that. The Twins moved Joe Maurer to, to first base. He's going to be playing first base for the Twins this year because they are paying him a tremendous amount of money and don't want to risk him getting hurt. It makes perfect sense. Don't have your highest paid, most most dependable hitter playing catcher. And maybe we're not having this conversation. It's a it's a conversation that the umpires are going to have to have with each other now. Was it intentional? Was it not? Just allow the game to be played as it's been played for over 100 years. 115 years baseball has been around I, I don't like the rule. I think it's stupid, and I think most of the fans don't like the rule either. I just I think it, it what all of a sudden all of a sudden because of Buster Posey it changes the baseball is this is again like the NFL the, like the uh, the extra points if it's not broken if it's not don't broken it. don't fix it I, they're going to be injuries okay but how many times is, does, an, does a player collide into a catcher does the catcher tear his ACL one out of every two hundred times that's because this happened with one star player got to make a change got to make a change okay I mean it's it's terrible what about let me ask you this. In the in 1973 All-Star game, Pete Rose ran into Ray Fossey behind home plate. Ruined his career. Never the same player. Was never talked about at that point. Baseball was baseball back then. Now, it's, it's all about protecting players' terrible. salaries. It's terrible. Protecting franchise investments. I don't know. I'm not a fan of the rule. I don't think... I think the only people who are f- fans of this new rule are probably baseball general managers, knowing that their their guys behind the home plate are going to be protected. I don't like it. I don't... I don't, because now... You know, gonna ha- you know what you're going to see happen now? And I just said this a little earlier... You're going to have the umpires having to make a call that can affect the outcome of game, uh, the outcome of a game even more so. You don't you want to try and take all the pressure off the umps. You don't want the outcome of a game to be determined by an official, a ref, or an umpire in any sport. Yeah, and that's what could happen now with this. Type well, of role. you thought they were going to alleviate that when they added instant replay, when they expanded instant replay coming into the now the 2014 season. But now it's just it's too. But now judgmental. you can challenge if it's intentional or not, and yeah. make the umpire have to decide if it is in the replay booth. Are you kidding? It's I, I and I think. 
I think that the fact that the can you imagine someone's charging into home plate, collides into the catcher, catcher drops the ball, he's safe, everyone gets up okay, but the umpire, the, the home manager, throws a challenge out and wants to challenge it because he thinks it was intentional. There was an intentional block. It's ridiculous. It's it just takes away something from the game. It also takes away time too. I agree. Now you're gonna have an even longer. Even baseball longer. games weren't long enough. They're about to be even longer. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. Especially Yankee Red Sox games. Oh my God! Don't have uh, what's his name back there? You know, Jim Joyce. Jim? No, not even Joyce. Who was the? Um, I can't think of his name. Um, Who? The ump that that called the Yankees and the Red Sox out for playing three plus hours games every time. Four oh, hour games. Ah, uh, what's his? Ah, uh, I forgot. People don't like him. I can't. I can't think of his. His name is Joe. Joe something. I forgot. I know it's who you're Joe, talking about. Joe. Follow us on Twitter. To figure it out. Hold on. Our producer, oh, our producer Jake Turnoff, is going to figure Turnoff it out right now. Jake is going to get to the answer to this um, Joe question. Joe West. Get Joe West. Us. I knew it was Joe something. Yep. Jake Turnoff. We thank you, Joe West. Joe West. Joe right. West. Couple I, years I ago, was famous for complaining name. about uh, the length of the Yankee Red Sox games. Imagine there's a home plate collision in that rivalry. Home plate collision in like the sixth inning, and then and then there's a home plate collision. What what happens in this situation? One more situation. The whole, I love a, the situation. It, 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 there's so many. There's so many you could jump to. Home play collision. Home umpa, home home manager challenge. He's they're the home team. They're in the field. Challenges. Flag goes out. They whatever it is. They look. They review it and they reverse the call and call and call the guy out. And then the the visitors umpire come out. Like what is the what's the dynamic there? Can he argue? What is this? Is ridiculous that that the home can challenge, but but the but the visitors get no say. This isn't the NFL. There's no time. You're not losing a timeout. I just don't love the fact that you could challenge that you mean, sort of play. You mean the manager? The, the manager, the manager. Okay. Yeah, I mean, what would happen is the call that they make through the replay is going to be the call that stands, but there's no— You know w- there's going to be an argument there's coming no, back. Th- this like is it. not a definitive call, yes or no. There's a lot of gray area involved. It's opinionated. Does the ump think that in this particular case the block of the plate or the charge what of I'm the catcher was is, intentional? What I'm trying to say is it's not as simple as reviewing did the receiver catch the ball with two feet in bounds. It's, there's no definitive answer. It, no. It's judgmental. That's— that's why I don't like challenging. You're complicating calls. our an already complicated game and an already complicated replay system. There's so much gray year. area in baseball that you ha- that if to challenge a, a, a judgment call, I, I don't love it. I think it's there's too much judgment to that to a call like that, especially with the rule change and to to go, to judge it on instant replay is too much. What you do love, I know you love this one. Former Baltimore Raven linebacker and New York Jet linebacker Bart Scott is taking his talents to the new CBS. Pre-game show of the NFL today. He will join Boomer Esiason, James Brown, and of course the great Bill Cowher as and part Tony of their Gonzalez studio now. show. And Tony Gonzalez, as I mentioned in the show yeah. opening, he's also going to be going from the Atlanta Falcons. He obviously retired. He will also be on the set. They're replacing Dan Marino and Shannon Sharp. So CBS has been losing the past couple years on the ratings war to Fox and to ESPN. Do you like Bart Scott joining the staff, joining the crew? Yeah, you know, he brings a lot. He's funny. He knows football, and I think he, you know, he gets serious when he needs to. We've You're seen trying him. to attract to a younger audience. I think it bringing does. in Bart Scott, and I think bringing it in does the greatest tight end of all time, and Tony it, Gonzalez it absolutely attracts that a younger audience. And listen, I liked Shannon was all right. I wasn't a huge fan. I, really I, I like Marino. What saying. I liked. I didn't think there was anything. I liked the Marino, Asias, and quarterback dynamic. I really did. But now you got now. What I also like is you have the linebacker tight end dynamic, which has become huge in the NFL. How the how the linebackers in the defense guard the tight end, which I think is going to be great just to have well, that you dynamic. Have be- you had the best tight end of all time. He's a likable guy. And and everyone and likes Tony Gonzalez. And you have Bart Scott, so who's that, obviously famous so think, for his charades on the field. So I think you move from having 
a quarterback's mind. You still do, but you're having two quarterbacks and a tight end to moving, having now a linebacker and a tight end and getting more into the head of the defense, how you guard against the tight end and how the tight end goes against well, certain Bart defenses. Scott also happens to be a very good analyst, too. He, he know, As you say, he knows football. Oh, he's, he's entertaining. He, yeah. he, te- he, he tells you how it about. is. He tells you how it is. He's not going to sugarcoat anything. He's going to tell you his honest feelings. On and it's things. about, it's about he's, ratings. He's going to give his opinions. And CBS, of course, all about ratings. All about ratings. I'm sure we'll talk about ratings with Jack Powers a little bit later on in this very podcast. TBR Jack. Of course, follow him on Twitter. TBR Jack, the whole thing. Bart Scott's a good guy, though. He's a. I'm sure he's going to be a, a good analyst for that national audience. He did a good job on CBS's show called That Other Pregame Show that they did yeah. with Brandon Tierney and Adam Shine. No reason to me why... Bart Scott and Tony Gonzalez won't be a good fit for CBS. Yeah, you know, along with Boomer, I think it, I think it'll be good. I think it. They, listen, they want to get their ratings closer to where Fox's is with their pregame show. So I think, you know, you you talk along those lines. I think this uh, generates a younger audience. Remember, they have Michael Strahan on Fox. He attracts that younger audience. He does. So I think. This is only going to help them. I like it. I like the move. I agree. Absolutely. So when we come back, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to have on Jack Powers. We're going to break down Late Night with Seth Meyers, Jimmy Fallon's new show, and, of course, the Oscars, the 86th Academy Awards this Sunday. We're going to get to it all with Jack Powers. The great TVR Jack. We're back here on the Asman and Budic podcast. Dan Budic joined alongside, as always, by Jake Asman, and we're happy to have Jack Powers, professor here at Ithaca College in studio. Jack, thanks for giving us some time. Thanks for being here. Thanks for letting me be here. We're really excited to have you on, Jack. Obviously, no one knows more about the TV and media and and film industry <laughs> than you. I don't know if that's true. But... And with the Oscars coming up, and the big news being Jimmy Fallon taking over for Leno and Seth Meyers getting his debut as a late night host as well, we really wanted to uh, get you in to talk a little bit about that because we know that uh, you follow it very closely. So my first question to you would be, what what is your, what was your initial reaction to Leno stepping down, and do you feel that Jimmy Fallon is the right guy to replace him? Absolutely. I think Jimmy Fallon is uh, a talent uh, for this generation. Uh, much the same way that Letterman was for a previous generation, much the same way that Johnny Carson was before that. Uh, those were the torchbearers, and uh, uh, the torch has clearly been passed from, I would say, uh, Letterman uh, to Jimmy Fallon. And then you might say, what about Leno? I don't think Leno was a, a, a trailblazer in the same way that the other two were. Uh, so we've had three major trailblazers, at least in my lifetime, Johnny Carson, David Letterman, and now Jimmy Fallon. You know, real quick, Jack, when you mentioned Jimmy Fallon, I know in class you talked about it, and I was hoping you could elaborate a little more. You talked about how he's able to interact with the crowd, and he brings that sort of SNL-type feel. What do you like about that, bringing it to late night? Well, I think uh, what what separates Jimmy Fallon from any other late-night talk show host that we've ever had is his acting ability, his musical ability. Uh, He brings a skill set that the others simply lack. They don't have. And as a result, uh, it's more entertaining. It's more of a variety show than, say, your uh, typical talk show. So as a result, I, I think he's going to play extremely well to uh, audiences for many, many decades. Now, what are your thoughts on Seth Meyers taking over for Fallon and hosting Late Night? Do you think Meyers going from SNL, going from being the, the writer there and the Weekend Update guy, how do you feel about that transition to his new role? Well, you know, I was uh, a little bit skeptical when he was named, and I thought, geez, do we really want to create a situation where just because uh, you're the Weekend Update anchor at SNL that that now means you get the next slot in Late Night at NBC? Um, but with that being said, after watching uh, his first show, I was pretty impressed. I thought uh, the best part of his show was uh, his interviewing skills, his rapport with his, yeah. uh, uh, with his two guests, uh, uh, first Amy Poehler and then Joe Biden. So I, I was kind of impressed. I, I'm cautiously optimistic. Unlike Jimmy Fallon, The Tonight Show is, is, has become, or seemingly has become, a variety show. 
Whereas Seth's show seems to be a talk show. And as a talk show, I thought it was quite solid. So uh, I was very impressed with it. Did you like the whole bit where he was talking to Biden about the old handgun point? That yeah, that's yeah. funny. So at the, uh, yeah, I, th- I thought it was very good. I thought, uh, uh, I thought the, the writing, yes, I thought the writing was crisp. Mm-hmm. I thought the jokes were good. Um, I, I do think, you know, Seth has a certain boy next door quality about him. But at the same time, as a result, he won't offend guests, and guests will like that, and uh, uh, he'll establish a rapport because of it. But at the same time, he's got that little smirk where it's like he's the cat who swallowed the canary, and uh, uh, we like that too. So we like that combination. So I think he's going to do okay. You know, he kind of brought on his monologue. You talked about it a little bit in class. You know, that weekend update type feel. Did you get that kind of? Did you get that same feeling? I know I got like it was like yeah. it felt like it was weekend update. It was weekend update. Is that what he's going for though? Yeah. Is he try? Is he trying to do what what he uh, was so successful with at SNL and try and use that to his advantage to open I, up a show, or does he want to go to the more traditional comedian comes out, they start the show, and give? couple one-liners, and then we'll go to the first break, the usual. Yeah, we'll all find out together. I think his trick is he's got to do something to make it the Seth Meyers show rather than, say, uh, uh, Jimmy Fallon's show or rather than... Like an extension of it. Right, we don't want that. Uh, We want something different. Jimmy Fallon did the same thing. When he first took over for Conan, uh, he was kind of awkward at the beginning, and then he came into his own. And I think Seth is going to have to do the same thing. Uh. You know, that was, uh, obviously, we'll see what happens with Seth Meyers. Only a couple shows, but I agree with you. The interviewing skills, I'm pleasantly, I think I was. we were all pleasantly surprised. I was pleasantly surprised. Uh, moving over, you talk about 86th Annual Academy Awards. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, you have an Emmy vote, not fortunately not an Academy Award vote. But right. How did you, quick, quick side, could you give our audience um, an idea of what it takes to be qualified to have an Emmy vote in the first place? Yeah, you have to join the Television Academy. And in order to join a television academy, you have to build up a certain number of credits uh, uh, in any variety of ways. And once you uh, reach that threshold, you're eligible, and then you apply for membership, and that's what happens. Um, here in the Park School, I'm a member, and uh, Steve Gordon is a member. So we have two voting Okay, members. very, very cool. cool. And what is the – so you get just as much of a vote as everyone else. I get the, one vote just like everybody right, okay. else. That's really, that's, that's really cool. I mean, you, for everyone out there listening, you're listening to someone who knows the field, has yeah. an envy vote for crying out loud. I mean – there's no man Wait, to talk more about this field than you. Real quick, Jack, I understand you were in an episode of Modern Family. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, that's true. So, uh, <laughs> uh, it, you know, I was very fortunate. The producers uh, asked me if I wanted to be in, a, in an episode. I said yes. I agreed. Uh, they wrote me in. I played an usher at a Los Angeles Lakers game. Um, and uh, it was fun. I enjoyed it. Uh, it was a long shoot. It was, ended up being about 14 hours uh, for the, that uh, brief couple of scenes. Unfortunately, most of my scene got cut. Wow. Uh, I'm still in there. I walk across the screen, uh, but uh, it was, How was all, that experience. It was fun. It was yeah. fun. Uh, it was uh, all Kobe Bryant's fault. Uh, while we were there, Kobe Bryant uh, uh, his, had his people contact Modern Family's people. It was filmed live at a Lakers game, and uh, said he wanted to be in the episode. And so they figured out where can we put him, and they said, well, we can put him in the last scene with Jack. And we filmed the scene three times: once with me and Kobe Bryant, once with just me, which was the original script. And then once with just Kobe Bryant. And the problem was Kobe Bryant couldn't film until about an hour at, after the game. So by then the arena had emptied. Yeah. And because the arena had emptied, I still remember the first AD because I had the headset on. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said, hey, uh, why do we need an usher in an empty arena? And as soon as he said that, I knew I was dead. I knew, uh, I knew it. Were you a little heartbroken? Was I was a little heartbroken. The thing is, at the time, I was a big LeBron fan because I'm from Cleveland. Uh, so I didn't like Kobe Bryant that much. Um, 
Now, of course, I can't stand LeBron. Right? <laughs> uh, I still don't like Kobe. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I was like, Kobe, man, first, what are you doing? Um, but anyway, it, it was fine. It was, it was still good. So you had an opportunity to meet the cast, though? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, okay, cast. so uh, uh, just so you know, uh, my one of my closest friends in the world is the executive producer of the show. Oh, wow. That's so, really cool. Uh, as a result, uh, uh, he invited me out from the get-go before it even aired. And so, yes, I know all the cast members, all the writers, everybody affiliated with the show. Pretty cool. I've been out there... Um, I don't know, six, seven times. Wow. So, now I can see why you always bring up in class. You use that as an example yeah, yeah. of uh, ABC sitcoms. Yes, yes, yes. All right, now talking about the Academy Awards. Uh, you know, you talked about the Emmy vote. You obviously, uh, you said you're a bigger TV guy. You've spent in class, you're a bigger TV yeah, guy. Yeah, I'm a TV movies. guy. You're a TV guy. I love the I point you made in class about how the Oscars is the biggest moment for films all year, and it's a TV show that's bringing yeah. the uh, <laughs> attention to the world out there. Yeah, for whatever reason... Uh, the world wants to believe that film is more prestigious than TV, but the reality is uh, the 800-pound gorilla in the room is television, not film. Once upon a time, it used to be film, and uh, television was the ugly stepchild of uh, the industry, but not anymore. The top talent, the top directors, the top actors, they all flock to TV today. What did you think, just to get into some of the categories, obviously the biggest one being Best Picture, yeah. just to read them off, uh, American Hustle, Captain Phillips, Dallas Buyers Club, Gravity, Her, Nebraska... Um, the Namia, uh, 12 Years a Slave, and The Wolf of Wall Street. Out of that, which ones do you think are going to have the best chance, I would say, yeah. to win the Best Picture? Because a lot of times the biggest popcorn flick, as you know, doesn't always get the Best, the best Picture award. Yeah, all right. Before I tell you my pick, I'll tell you this, that the Academy, because they were afraid um, of losing younger viewers to the Academy Awards, which in the key demographic audience, they have lost many viewers, 18 to 49, so they wanted to appeal more to the masses. Mm -hmm. To do that, they expanded the number of films that they would uh, There's a nominate. lot of films out there. Right, yeah. right. Uh, the idea was that some of the better popcorn films would make it, which would give more of a reason for people to tune in to watch. Unfortunately, that hasn't happened. Instead, what has happened is we just get more artistically oriented films, right. uh, so they haven't gotten the numbers that they had hoped that they would get. Um, but with that being said, I think it's a slam dunk. I don't even think it's uh, a competition. It's uh, it's going to go to 12 Years a Slave. I would be absolutely shocked if it went to anybody else except that film. Real quick, because me and Jake, I have a personal connection to the movie. Did you see Wolf of Wall Street? I have not seen you it. You haven't seen really? it? Okay. But I, I know that I want to see it. I'm a huge uh, uh, Martin Scorsese fan. Uh, I also like Leo DiCaprio. Uh, I like the films that they've done together, uh, especially. And uh, I'm very much looking forward to it. I just haven't seen it yet. That's a great movie. Well, that movie in particular is up for Best Director with Scorsese, as you just said. Best Actor, Leonardo DiCaprio. And Supporting Actor, Jonah Hill. Yeah. Is this the year that... I know you haven't seen the movie, but you know, talking to people that you know and what you hear, is this the year Leo could finally win an Oscar? And why hasn't he been able to do so when he's been... You know, he's been in so many great movies and he's had a lot of opportunities. A lot of nominations. Yeah, I think he's a tremendously gifted actor. He's a hard worker. He's known in the business as somebody uh, that you want to work with. He doesn't make waves. He does uh, his job. He does everything the way that you want a professional actor uh, to do. With that being said, he's got no chance. Really? Uh, it's really? going to go to Matthew McConaughey. Again, I'll be shocked if Matthew McConaughey... That was Dallas Buyers Club. Dallas yes. Buyers Did you, I didn't have an opportunity to see that film. I didn't see this film either. Uh, so then you might say, hey, well, if you haven't seen the films, why are you speaking about these things? Well, uh, I read a lot. And uh, also... The Hollywood Reporter. Right, sure. right. So in addition to just reading... Uh, there are award shows that precede the Academy Awards, and the big ones are not the Golden Globes, um, but rather the Writers Guild Awards mm -hmm. and the Directors Guild Awards and the Screen Actor Guild Awards. And all three of those have already taken place, and uh, uh, that's in some ways the bigger prize for the people in the business. So if you're a director, 
the, to get the Directors Guild Award from other directors is fantastic. If you're an actor, to, to be uh, uh, presented as the best according to your peers is a very, very big deal. So like it sets the president. The yeah, president. It definitely does. And Matthew McConaughey won. So I fully expect him to win this time. I could be wrong, of course. Uh, but if I were betting on it, I would bet on him. What are some of the movies nominated, some of the actors or actresses that really stand out to you? If you uh, would just name a few. Uh, sure, I think uh, in terms of their overall acting, I think uh, uh, the lead actors are all uh, tremendous. I, I really do. Um, w- one of the things about acting is, uh, like any other skill, the more you do it, the better you get at it. So I'm, I've been very impressed with the transformation of Matthew McConaughey from where he was in his 20s in the movies he made then to where he is in his 40s in the movie he, he's making now. Uh, I've been impressed with Leo DiCaprio ever since he was a star of a sitcom back in uh, the 1990s. Right. Um, uh, late 80s, early 90s, uh, growing pains. And I, I thought he was fantastic. And I remember saying, watching him, like, wow, that kid can really act. He was a teenager then. And uh, ever since then, I've been very impressed. Um, so uh, all of these actors, as we look at the best actors, um, I mean, Christian Bale, he's sensational. Bruce Dern, he's been doing this seemingly for uh, 80 Next. years. Not really, uh, but uh, it's incredible. Um, and then obviously the newcomer from 12 Years a Slave, uh, I never say his name right, but it's uh, Chuetel. Chuetel, I believe it's Chuetel. And uh, I think he's great, too. Um, so, I, I mean, these guys are incredibly gifted. Uh, there's a myth out there that anybody can act, uh, but it, it's not entirely true. There are some people who are gifted enough to do it uh, from the get-go, but mostly it's a craft uh, that is learned over years, and they get better and better as they go. Yeah, I was about to ask you, you talked about the transformation of a guy like Matthew McConaughey from yeah. where he was net, then to now. What goes into that? Is that when you have so much success as an actor in your you know your late teens, your 20s, into your 30s, and then you change genres and you move a little darker, a little more to comedy? What goes into that? I think what happens is uh, you grow. You know, every day that we live, it adds plus one to our life experience, right? So uh, today's uh, where I'm sitting uh, as somebody who's 43 years old is way different than where you guys are sitting. And so uh, I have uh, decades of experience that you don't have. And there's no substitute for that. So w- when you take an actor such as McConaughey or Clooney or DiCaprio or Tom Hanks or any of these people, I mean, we, we take someone like Tom Hanks who went from uh, a lame sitcom uh, in the 80s called Bosom Buddies to a multiple Academy Award winner. Um, uh, you see that transformation happen often. Uh, or even Robin Williams from a stand-up comic to Academy Award winner. Um, uh, I think it's just life experience, and you get better and better the more you do these things. And just, uh, you talked about it in class a lot. What's going on with Frozen? Why is it that Frozen has dominated in the animated film? Why is it that it has broke records, billions of dollars? Why Frozen as an animated film? You, you, first off, you, no doubt that movie's I've, probably going to win. Yeah. Think, right? There's, there's no chance. There's, there's no I chance. can't think of another movie out there that yeah, would be no. more deserving. But what is it about Frozen that made it... Has, it is. It is really. It's. It's. It, people are saying it's the animated film of the decade. Yeah, I think one. It, it's a very good film. So I, I think that helps a lot. I think the score of the film, the the musical numbers, are sensational, and they've caught on. And I think that soundtrack will be popular for decades and decades. Um, and uh, the story. It's a simple story, but it's well executed, and it tugs at the nerves. Uh, uh, you know, at the heartstrings. And when that happens. It all seems to connect. Um, frankly, if we knew why, we would make more films like it. <laughs> That's true. So we don't always know. We take guesses, but just because we guess doesn't mean that it's going to work out. So, uh, you know, every movie that's ever made, people think it's going to be a good movie. 
every TV show that's ever made, they think it's going to be a good TV show. Obviously, that's not always the case. Um, so there is, we don't know why exactly. But for whatever reason, it has. I mean, it's the most successful animated film of all time. Unbelievable. And uh, it's unbelievable. And then another animated movie, I know it's not up for Oscar nominations just yet, but the Lego movie. Oh, that one too. to be number one in the box office. Just likely going to be a number two or three. The whole thing. Franchise we're talking. Oh. What, what about that movie is it's just captivating this, this population. I think, I think what happened with the Lego movie, and it happened with Frozen too, is uh, uh, it's done on purpose. Every one of these films that is geared toward kids and parents um, is written at two levels. One level so that children can appreciate it, and a second level so that adults can appreciate it, even if they don't have kids. And I think Frozen did that extraordinarily well, and the Lego movie is doing that. Every kid, male or female, who's grown up here has played with Legos. It's true. Everybody has. And so right away, you've got that built-in audience. What's that about? Now throw in the fact that it's filled with A-list Hollywood stars, um, and people uh, uh, like the story, and it's a no-brainer. Uh but still, nobody expected this amount of success with Lego. Nobody did. And uh, it's blowing away the competition. Now, I know you're a big 24 fan. i, I got to ask you about that before we let you go. Comes back. Jack is back May 5th. You, you ready for 24 to come back? I, you know what? I'm skeptical. 12 um, episodes is a lot different than right, right, right. normal 24. Yeah, however, I kind of like that. I think uh, I had mentioned uh, uh, earlier to you that uh, I, I wish they had adopted that formula and just told a whole story arc. Uh, the, the way that many cable shows now do, uh, where you get 10 episodes, 12 episodes, and just tell the whole story as like a 12-hour film. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to watch it. I can tell you that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's one of those shows where if you start from the beginning, you got to finish. you got to finish. Yeah. And so I'm definitely there. I'm definitely on board. Um, uh, I like the premise. I like the frenetic pace of the show, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. I am skeptical that it will be as good as those first few seasons of 24 were. Now, another show I know you love, Entourage, just announced Great show. today oh. that it will have a summer release, 2015, yeah. June 12th, I believe is the date. Yeah. I know we talked about this before, Great show. but it's my favorite show of all time. Well, and as someone like you that knows the industry so well, I mean, that show gave you a real inside look of what that's all yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, and I have, a, a, you know, I have a bias in favor of shows that, are, that deal with the industry. So I like uh, uh, TV shows and movies that talk about TV shows and movies. Uh, uh, so you're probably a newsroom person as well. Love newsroom. Yeah. Absolutely love it. Um, so that's called a meta show, and meta movies and meta shows are, have always been big. I mean, going back to uh, um, the Dick Van Dyke show back in the 1950s where, uh, you know, he worked on a TV show uh, as Dick Van Dyke, or Mary Tyler Moore working at a TV station uh, back in the 60s. It, it's been with us. Uh, it, it's never gone away. So Entourage is one of the few um, that appealed to men, uh, and as a result, uh, it, it's a big hit with men, a much bigger hit with men than it is with women. Mm-hmm. Uh, that makes it different in, in the realm of TV because usually we have shows that will appeal to both genders, the, or b- the masses in general, or we'll have some shows that are uh, more appealing to just women. And we have not, this is the only show that we can say with certainty that this is a man show. Uh, and we don't have a lot of shows that fit that category. Do you think the movie's going to be successful though? Because obviously HBO, I don't. Sex in the City was very successful. They made it was, it. yeah. Do you think Entourage could be on that same level as far as a movie that does very well going from the HBO TV screen going to the box office now? If we use the audience that HBO was able to get uh, as a, a barometer, then yes. Um, so uh, the only thing, the, the thing is, will it be considered cool for guys to go see Entourage? If the answer to that question is yes, then it will be a big hit. Well, the thing is, is 
wouldn't you say yes automatically? I would. Because it has a built-in because it has such a built-in it audience. It has a built-in audience. But remember, the HBO audience is never as big as like say the broadcast TV audience. Uh, but even so, with that being said, it did tremendously well for HBO. So I suspect it will be a hit. Do I think it's going to make, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars? No. Uh, but do I think uh, it's looking at an opening weekend of $20 million? Yes. And do you think that the fact that the show's been off the air since summer 2011, the fact that it's coming out now four years later when it's eventually released, does that hurt the movie or does that help it because of the suspense building up I, to it? I, I think the build-up. I think the build-up, uh, how it's marketed will matter a lot. Absolutely. As long as uh, uh, we're talking and it creates a buzz, I think people will go see it. Uh, I will definitely be seeing it opening weekend. All right, Jack, thanks for joining us, giving us a few minutes of your time, and uh, we'll see you in class. All right, thanks a lot. That's the uh, great Jack Powers, everybody. Jack, thanks so much for coming on. Great Jack Powers. That was Jack Powers giving us a few minutes of his time. Jake, that was a lot of fun. Of course, Jack Powers, big entourage guy, big 24 guy. He has an Emmy vote. He knows everything there is to know about the television media industry. And, of course, we talked about with him about the Oscars. I agree with a a lot of what he said. I think the bottom line is 12 Years of Sleep is probably going to be the film that wins Best Picture. I never realized how, like... Some of those other awards, like the Screen Actors Guild Awards, are sometimes set the precedent for the Academy Awards. I guess I, you know, we don't have the in on the business. We don't really know, so we don't really look at it like that. But it was interesting that he could, you know, Matthew McConaughey is probably going to win Best Actor, and you know, he didn't even see the movie. I like how he's, you know, he has. He that, knows. He knows. Yeah, and he's probably going to be right. Another thing I thought was really funny is when he was talking about how he was on Modern Family. Oh, that was great. And Kobe Bryant screwed him over. Kobe, Kobe, he, Kobe Bryant needs more than an hour after the Lakers game to get ready. Yeah, I mean, not only Kobe Bryant, not only has Kobe Bryant screwed over several NBA players over the years <laughs> with his, uh, you know, what, 62 points at the, 61 points at the Garden of course. that Melo recently broke, but, you know, the great Jack Powers. So it was nice enough for, for uh, Jack to come on, but that's going to do it for our show. Once again, we will be on iTunes coming up pretty Hopefully soon. Hopefully within the next couple of days. We're Next hoping. week it should be on. We should be good to go. The Asbury and Butick Podcast, you could search us for on iTunes. or you can But go it's to, on ICTV. Or you could search ICTV on iTunes and it should come up as well. But we are definitely on ICTV's website right now. You go to ICTV.org, go under podcast, hit the Asbury and Butick Show. You'll be able to click it and listen to our first one, which we did last week. And of course, this one, which we're recording right now, should be up in the coming days but we want to say a couple thank yous thank you to our producers carly miller and jake Chernock so much for helping us out wouldn't be able to do it wouldn't we, be able to we get could. the show I done mean, we are technology um dysfunctional this, yeah, we can't do it we can't use pro the, tools the word i want to, to use isn't appropriate for this airwave so i'm not gonna do it we are awful with technology Terrible. and the idea to have someone to come in and help us it's huge we need it yeah i mean carly thank you so much so that was carly miller helping us out and jake Chernock. um so once again, you can follow us on Twitter at Jake Asman, at Dan Budick. The show will be on iTunes. It's on ICTV.org. Take a listen. Thank you, everyone. We'll be back next week for more. Week three.